This podcast is supported by the Rebecca Vassi Trust, a UK-based charity which promotes the art of narrative photography through granting bursary awards to up-and-coming photographers and funding public education projects like this one. This podcast has full editorial independence, and the views expressed in this series are not necessarily those of the Trust. Welcome to Season 2 of the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in the 12th and final episode of Season 2, we'll be talking with Hannah Fletcher about working sustainably. Hannah Fletcher is a London-based artist working with cameraless photographic processes. She's the founder of The Sustainable Darkroom, co-director of the London Alternative Photography Collective, and a facilitator of sustainability within the arts. Hannah's work intertwines organic matter, such as soils, algae, mushrooms, and roots, into analog photographic mediums and surfaces. She does this while simultaneously exploring environmentally and ecologically focused issues. Working in an investigative, pseudoscientific, and environmentally conscious manner, Hannah combines scientific techniques with photographic processes, creating a dialogue between the poetic and political. I wonder if we could start by you just telling me a little bit about the kind of work that you do. Yeah, of course. So I describe myself as a photographic artist, primarily working with organic materials and plant-based materials. So my work very much is kind of materials focused and very much looking at, you know, what kind of photography is comprised of and how can we rethink that in different ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what sort of prompted you to engage more with materials and to rethink materials? Like, I mean, obviously I assume there's a environmental aspect to that, but I wonder if you could maybe unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, of course. So I think I've always been really drawn to this kind of tactility within photography. I find, you know, like a lot of the photography industry and practitioners are quite fixated on the kind of perfection of the surface and the perfection of the image and naturally I just kind of turned against this in a way or started to kind of work in a way which was kind of opposite to this you know just like embracing the dust and embracing the dirt and the development marks and as soon as I started kind of working in the dark room I very much felt at home there if you like it felt like a place where I could really explore and have a more hands-on and more kind of personal relationship with the photography that I was making and then from there it's just kind of I guess moved more and more into an inquiry into you know what are these papers made of that I'm working with what are these chemistries made of and actually you know with that then as my environmental awareness grew and kind of expanded then my questioning of these materials also kind of began to 
grow and expand and I just yeah at one point you know I just kind of had this moment where I was working with plant roots directly with photographic chemistries and kind of subjugating different plant roots to different photographic chemistries and I suddenly just thought what if actually some of these plants could absorb you know the silver from waste photographic fixer and use it in a positive way like actually what if there's something more going on here that I could explore and somehow create more of a holistic ecosystem within photography which isn't just you know kind of mindlessly using materials and not really knowing where we're getting them from or where they're going or even how they can work in balance and in relationship with other things kind of for a long time my work has really been focused on working directly with organic materials and trying to figure out what their relationship is with the photographic but it was never really with an intention to change what those photographic materials were at the beginning it was more just about understanding you know how can this soil or how can this algae or how can this mushroom have a relationship with the photographic materials whether that's the chemistry or the paper or the film and then as my work has grown it's really moved then into you know actually how can these materials can change and kind of revolutionize the current analog photography kind of ecosystem and materials and everything that it exists within because there are a lot of you know things which could be done better essentially Absolutely. I think that there's something really, really interesting in what you're describing about how, you know, you were wanting to work more tactily and more physically with photographic objects, yet doing so has, you know, potential detrimental environmental or not potential, very obvious, right? Environmental impacts, right? And I think that's a really interesting tension to have to grapple with or work through in your own practice. Just for those who might not be super aware of what impact, you know, film photography does have or analog photography does have on the environment. Could you maybe explain that a little bit for us as well? Yeah, of course. I also want to just be clear that it's not just analog photography that has an impact. Digital photography equally has an impact. So it was never a case of me saying, oh, analog photography is much worse than digital, so I want to tackle this. It was always a case of me always wanting to work within analog photography. That's something which is very synonymous within my work and then addressing that. I think equally, you know, if my work was more rooted in digital photography, then I would have gone down that avenue of kind of readdressing how digital photography can sit within our wider ecosystem but in terms of film photography like some of the main issues are the volumes of water which are used so this can be water when we're washing our prints it can be water when we're washing our films when we're washing out cyanotype chemistry even just the water that we're using in are chemistry baths for example like does that have to be fresh water a lot of alternative photographic processes also use distilled water you know does it always have to be distilled water that you're going and buying in a big plastic bottle from the shop can we distill our own water at home or can we use rainwater for making up our photographic developer 
Because actually, when it comes to making a plant-based developer, it's been found that rainwater is much more beneficial to use in your plant-based developer than tap water. Because tap water is full of all sorts of chemistries and chlorines and different things like this. And actually, rainwater is full of, you know, natural minerals, which can aid the development of our paper or our film. So actually, should we be rethinking the water that we use in a darkroom? And should every darkroom have a big rainwater butt attached to it? And that's what we use to mix up our developer. So water is just one of the things. You know, another element is the use of gelatin, for example, which is animal-derived product. So all films and papers are coated in a layer of gelatin. And, you know, this is a direct kind of demand on the meat industry because it's increasing the kind of value of cattle farming because it uses bovine gelatin and so therefore it's making essentially the meat industry more you know more profitable and gives them more reason to keep going even though you could justify that it's a byproduct if that you know byproduct wasn't in such high demand for things like this then maybe it would give the farmers less of a reason to actually farm those cows you could argue and if you want to read more about kind of the statistics of you know how many cows and how much gelatin is used in the film industry Ed Carr who is a colleague of mine and works on me with the sustainable darkroom has written a paper on it Ed Carr's text is called The Ecology of Grain and then you know another element that we can think about within analogue photography would be the toxicity of the chemistries and how we dispose of our kind of waste chemistries. Is there a way that we can activate these chemistries? Could our waste, you know, be a valuable resource for other industries? For example, with our waste fixer, can we recycle the silver and use it in the jewellery industry? Or as Melanie King is currently investigating whether we can recycle the silver to then plate daguerreotypes and make another photographic image from, you know, one waste product in the darkroom. Then there's also plastics. So the plastic which coats resin coated paper, making them not recyclable. The plastic which is on our film canisters and that our film is made up of. Also that, you know, digital negatives, acetates are made up of. Could we find an alternative for plastics? Could we make another film which maybe biodegrades if we don't want to keep it? Or a film which is just not made on plastic? There's a film company in France called Washi Film, which has produced films on Japanese papers. And they load in a camera just like a normal film. I'm also researching whether we can use kombucha scoby as a possible alternative for something like film. Wow. No, that's super interesting. And it sounds incredibly complex, you know, all the different ways in which, you know, analog photography can have impacts and things that we might not even consider. You know, I've heard about thinking about chemicals and disposal and silver, but you went so far beyond that into so many other avenues. And I think that that's really helpful to think about. Like, I didn't even think about 
you know, bovine farming and things like that. It's really helpful to keep all of those in mind. And I know that you said that your practice focuses on analog, so I don't want to detract or detour us too much. But I do wonder, because you mentioned that digital also has environmental consequences. And I was wondering if you could even just touch on that or even point us to a resource that we can go to to get more information about that. Yeah, of course. So I think it's the magazine Ethical Consumer has a really good article on things to consider when buying a new photographic camera. And it goes into things such as, you know, looking at what manufacturer you're buying it from and like who they support essentially. So it kind of breaks down, you know, Canon, Fuji, Samsung, all of the Nikon, all of the big photography brands and kind of says, you know, what's their policy? You know, who are they supporting? What do they do as an organization? As well as this, all of the rare earth minerals which are held within your camera and make them up, they're all, you know, mined and how are they mined, you've got to think about. And if you're regularly updating your camera, what are you doing with your old camera? If you're not recycling it, then that's a huge waste of resources which are held within that camera, which then kind of basically become obsolete. Because we went through this whole generation where since the kind of advent of digital photography, our technology has grown exponentially. And in that time, we've had numerous camera upgrades. And in order for photographers to be at the top of their game, they're regularly updating and upgrading their camera. And so what's happening to all of these old cameras, you know? It's all of that waste technology. On top of that, you also want to think about the storage of your photographs. So if you're shooting loads of photographs, which you do on a digital camera, then where are you putting them all? Are you storing them all on a cloud? In which case, do you know like where that cloud storage centre is? Do you know if it's run by renewable energies? Do you know if it's somewhere in an area where it might be, you know, I don't know, causing issues for the local environment? Is it necessary to store those images on the cloud? Because every time you access them, you're using energy to get them. So I think it's a very complex issue and it's definitely just not as black and white as saying, you know, digital is better than analog. It completely depends on how you practice with those forms as an individual if you're an individual that works with digital photography and you use a camera which is like 10 years old and you've never upgraded it and you work really hard to maintain it you store all of your photographs on a hard drive you're you know very conscious of what companies you're supporting through your digital photography then that might be better than an analog practice but at the same time, if your analog practice is using plant-based chemistries and, you know, reusing and recycling everything you can, then that's likely to be better possibly than a fashion photographer that's upgrading his camera every year and storing all of their photographs in big data storage centers. Absolutely. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, a little bit more about what kinds of resources should other people or could other people 
go to to learn more of these things? Because I think that this is something that I definitely don't hear enough about. And I think it's really important and really interesting and clearly very linked to ethics, which I'll ask you about again in a minute there. But I wonder just maybe if there are any other resources that we can signpost people to that have been helpful on your journey. It's really been a mix. There's not really particularly any clear information, which is why I started the Sustainable Darkroom. So in 2019, I founded an initiative called the Sustainable Darkroom, which is basically a kind of platform and research and learning initiative to support other practitioners in finding their own more environmentally friendly approach to working with analog photography. So I run kind of research and development residencies. I pair artists with scientists to support them with research on specific areas that they want to look into. We run workshops. We have a community platform, which you can join via our Patreon, where we have kind of monthly troubleshooting meetings for anyone, you know, can like drop into and just tell us like what they want to achieve or what they might be stuck on or even just a space to kind of share and discuss with other people that are trying to kind of pursue a similar goal. Also, Ed has some research papers. So we have kind of a whole host of different resources and opportunities to help people navigate that path with the sustainable darkroom. So that would definitely be a good place to look for anyone interested in the analog side of things. We also have two publications which are available, which kind of are filled with a whole host of essays and recipes and ideas and just things to make you question and think a bit differently about the way that you might approach your practice. And then we also on there will post kind of other workshops or talks which we feel are relevant and uh, towards a common ethos and mindset. Other than that, when I first started it, there definitely wasn't really anything out there. And I just had all of these ideas floating around in my head of, would this be possible? Would that be possible? But I knew that as an individual, I just didn't really have the capacity to, you know, research whether hyperaccumulating plants could absorb the silver from photographic fixer and the could, could then be maybe harvested in their shoots and leaves. I knew that I needed collective knowledge and the help of scientists and experts, which is why I kind of thought, you know, I need to make something that is going to bring together like lots of people in this to really kind of work in this way of, you know, community activism and community resilience, because I really believe that, you know, these forms of actions are some of the most powerful kind of ways that we can move forward in society. Absolutely. And on your website, you said something about how in the future going forward, if we're going to have sort of a sustainable photography practice, it might look different. It might be in different color tones or it might just have a different quality to it. And that will, I guess, necessitate sort of a collective 
change and a collective awareness. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that plays out in your own practice and maybe the changes that you're hoping to see across the industry. Yeah, so it's a really interesting point because I think one of the biggest kind of resistances that the sustainable darkroom potentially faces is a lot of people who say, well, it's not going to look as good. Well, it's not going to be the same. If you, you know, change the chemistry, then I'm not going to get the same tonal range that I get with Ilford, XYZ, whatever. You know, a lot of people are very, very specific within the industry and the way that they print and they've printed that way for a lifetime. And I think what we need to be open to is we need to be open to other aesthetics and kind of be comfortable with things not always looking perfect and maybe that's okay maybe it's interesting that you know a photograph might not fully fix or maybe we don't even need to fully fix a photograph sometimes because perhaps you're printing that photograph just to kind of you know see it for that day just as like a test shot maybe it's for a client or something like that and therefore it doesn't need to be fixed and archivally washed so that it might last hundreds of years because you don't want that photograph for hundreds of years so I think it's about understanding what the need of that specific photograph is and then applying the best practice for that If it's a photograph which is disposable in a way and, you know, isn't going to go into an exhibition, isn't going to be sold to someone, then maybe we can think differently about the kind of aesthetics of it. But even overall, I think the project that you're referring to is one where I've researched the relationship between iron and photography. So like iron rusting on photographic prints that work was kind of a avenue for me to explore the idea of silver being a precious metal on our earth and thinking about the kind of potential scarcity of silver in mining. And if we were to reach a point where, you know, we depleted all of our silver ores, then what other metals could we potentially turn to to continue a photographic practice? And the reaction that happens when we make a silver photograph is a reduction oxidization process. So I was researching, you know, what other metals can go through this reaction. So iron is one, for example, that goes through a reduction oxidization process. And when this happens, rust is formed. So rust is something that we're all very visually familiar with, with its kind of orange colour. So perhaps very hypothetically, photography, if it made use of iron, would have an orange look to it rather than a kind of black and grey tonal value to it. So I think it wasn't a, you know, scientific investigation. I have no idea whether it could actually be done, but it's more just like a kind of hypothetical consideration of if we run out of materials and if we reach a point where we have depleted all of our silver ores, then what might the photographic landscape look like? And actually, you know, perhaps that would be more visually interesting than a black and white photographic landscape. I think we need to be open to possibilities for new 
understandings and new visual languages within our photography because that's the only way that we can really move forward. Absolutely. And I just really appreciate that point that you've made. I think that that's something that has come up in a few different ways in this podcast is sort of broadening this idea of what constitutes a good photograph, right? How can we think about photography in a way that is more inclusive, more sustainable? And how does that change the images that we consume and the images that win awards, right? I think that that's a really complex, but a really important question that really needs to be tackled a little bit more aggressively. (laughs) And I wonder, you know, thinking about ethics, how do you sort of see ethics in this process? Do you view this as an ethical imperative to do this work and to work sustainably? Yeah, I think definitely. I think all of it is an ethical dilemma in a way, you know, like every day we're faced with ethical dilemmas. So I think we just might not really think about them, especially if we're in this case, trying to fulfill a more environmentally conscious practice. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day about buying like vegan shoes, which are basically plastic. And if she buys the vegan version, she wears through like three pairs in a year. And then actually, is that the best thing to be buying? Because then you're using all of this plastic. So it's like a way up of, is it better to buy the leather shoes or the ones that are made of plastic? Like neither option is the right one. Like neither option is supporting an industry that you agree with or is something that you want to be a part of. So in that way, like it's the same with decisions that we'll make to do with our practice. The most important thing that we can do is to make a conscious and informed decision And all of these are kind of ethical decisions because as publication that I put out with the Sustainable Darkroom is titled, this is not a solution. None of these ideas that I'm putting forward are solutions to working completely environmentally friendly. Like none of them are perfect. None of them are solutions yet. But I believe that just making an informed decision, knowing what materials you're using, where it came from, why you're using it, why it makes sense for your practice, being able to justify it. I believe that this is one of the most powerful things that we can do as a society is to inform ourselves and make conscious decisions. Because at the end of the day, the way that our society is structured and the world that we live in, there's not a correct or best way to do things most of the time so often we're faced with multiple paths which all have negative aspects to them so we need to really understand that yeah there's not one simple solution and there's no right way to do things but what we can do is begin to introduce these more mindful approaches and understandings and you know, help other practitioners be informed and conscious of what they're doing and make conscious decisions, basically, which are relevant to them as individuals and the way that they work. Absolutely. No, I think that makes complete sense. And I really appreciate something that you said there about, you know, this is not a solution. I think that that's a really important recognition that it's very much a work in progress. And 
I try to talk about that a lot when we're talking about ethics and we're talking about vulnerability as well, that like in five years time, there will inevitably be better ethical decisions that we could have made. And we'll look back and we'll say, oh, that was actually not sustainable or not ethical or not the right way to do things. But we're learning and we're reflexive about that process. And I feel like that sometimes is the most important point. Like you said, you know, being conscious of the decisions that we're making. I mean, I think that resonates with me so strongly. I think it really connects to what I'm trying to do with the Photography Ethics Center. So I really appreciate hearing that from you as well. I agree. It's really key. And with the Sustainable Darkroom, we've put out a manifesto, which is available to read on our website, which is under the London Alternative Photography Collective. You'll find the Sustainable Darkroom and then our manifesto. And we kind of state that we'll, you know, continue to evolve with new knowledge and research so that we can provide like constantly up to date and essential information and resources. Because as you say, we're limited by our knowledge now as our kind of society progresses and moves. We'll constantly have new knowledge and new understanding and things will evolve and be better. And we really need to be able to move with that and constantly kind of keep evolving. A lot of the terms that you're using and the processes you're describing are quite scientific and they can be potentially off-putting for people. And I actually, I saw on your Twitter bio, I think that you described yourself as a (laughs) pseudoscientist. And I thought that was really interesting. And I really appreciated that. But I guess, how can that be more approachable for people or less off-putting or intimidating? Yeah, it's a tricky one because, you know, with all of these workshops and everything that I'm teaching now, you know, they do have a big scientific aspect to them. But I think we need to think about, you know, things not so separately. In order for photography to exist, you know, we have to have science. And in order for, you know, lots of things to exist, we have to have science. But then equally, if we're thinking about, you know, the whole ecosystem of photography, it relies on so many other industries to exist. And I think, We need to not think of ourselves as an individual photographer, like existing on our own, like that's our sole being as a photographer. I think we need to think more about the photographer as existing within this big wide ecosystem and the way that we're connected to all of these other industries. And if we can, this might seem like a big ask for some people, but we should have some sort of awareness of what all those other industries are and how we're connected to them. We don't need to know exactly how they work, but just having an awareness of where that comes from and what industry it's connected to and actually maybe what other industry it could benefit. And I think that all practices need to work like this. It's not just photography, you know, like the restaurants know where their vegetables come from and they might know that the style of farming that is used on that farm because it's relevant to the way that the food tastes and that's really important for their business. Equally, you know, we should have some sort of knowledge of this silver comes from a sustainable mine maybe, but a lot of that is down to, you know, the big industries and the big companies and, So far, they haven't really, 
you know, stepped up to provide that at all. So at this stage, it's really difficult to ask people to be that holistic photographic practitioner that ideally we should all be striving to be. So I think at this stage, if you're just kind of begin to inform yourself at the level that you're comfortable with, there's no need to go and learn all the chemistry but at the same time if that really becomes interesting to you then go for it like I'm not from a scientific background at all I was like in bottom set science all throughout school and I was very much like just the only thing I was particularly good at was like art but I'm very much someone who learns through making and learns through doing things and learns through having a connection to something so as soon as I was able to have a connection to these more scientific learnings then I've been able to process it and it's really interesting to me I'm still not able to sit there and read a scientific journal and process it because that's not the way I work but You know, I can pick things up from different people. I can try things out myself. And then through that, I'm able to inform myself more scientifically. But by no means would I call myself, you know, a scientist or claim any sort of, yeah, I don't know, like scientific expertise. And I teach workshops, some workshops which are scientific processes For example, soil chromatography is a scientific process. It's something that you would like do in a lab to test the quality of your soil. And when I teach it, you know, I make it very clear at the beginning of my workshop, like I'm not a scientific expert. I'm teaching this from an artistic perspective. So things I might do might not be completely right. And this might not be the best practice. But for me, it's about, you know, engaging with our soils and engaging with our environment in a way which gives us more knowledge it's not about doing things perfectly and being scientifically accurate for me but I think it's the benefit that some form of scientific knowledge can give us without being really you know as rigorous as a scientific researcher would be we're not on that level at all but I think it's more about the way that we look at things and I think we need to not get hung up on like science being this scary thing which is really academic or requires you know loads of tests and all of the research because yeah that's going on and that's really important but that's not relevant for the everyday person and there's ways that we can incorporate just a way of looking at things and a way of kind of questioning and analysing and digging a bit deeper, which is slightly scientific, but it's not strict or intensive scientific research and it's not something to kind of run away from. Can you tell me what does photography ethics mean to you? I think ethics encompasses everything that we do. And I don't think it should be thought of as something separate from photography, you know. It just should be completely intertwined in a way. And ethics isn't this thing which kind of sits, you know, on a podium, like, over there. It's, like, within everything. It's within the ecosystem. It's within, you know, the 
camera that you're holding and it's within the scene that you're photographing and it's within the chemistries that you're developing in. And I think it's just really about having a complete awareness of how those materials came to be and your relationship with them and a consciousness that that you have kind of like done your research if you like and you can justify why you're using that camera and why you're taking the image you can and you I think if we're more conscious beings then it it we don't have to think about it so much because it will always be there within the way that we work and the way that we approach our practice and um, our kind of just wider uh, like lifestyle. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photoethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. This is the final episode in season two of the Photoethics podcast. You can stay connected with us by enrolling in our online courses on photojournalism ethics at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or by following us on social media. We're on Twitter at Photoethics and on Instagram at Photoethics Center. Thanks very much for joining me throughout season two. This podcast was edited by Ellie Gascoigne.